Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Happy Friday. I'm Charlie Sykes, and this may be the last podcast of the year that I do with Tim Miller. So, Tim, uh, if I don't talk to you, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's the 10th. Tell him. You're, you're kicking me off for three weeks. No, I'm I'm kicking myself off. I'm going to be here. A well-earned break. I am hopefully, unless they shut the country down, I will be in France next week. If they don't Ooh. shut the country down. There's so many things that can go wrong. I was actually telling my wife that mentally I'm just thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to go. <laughs> it's, but I am going to go. So we have so much to talk about today, the craziness of our politics, including what's going on with Dr. Oz, how the Republican establishment has decided that they're all in the crazy. Donald Trump's bromance with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, apparently gone. He says, fuck him. Tim, amazingly, it turns out that Trump was not all about U.S.-Israeli relationship. Netanyahu no. congratulates Joe Biden, and he's done with him. He's no. done with that asshole. Who could have seen that coming? See, my, my, my favorite image of the morning is this, uh, the front page of an Israeli newspaper. It's all in Hebrew, except with, with the word fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have to see the image. I included it in my newsletter. I also want to talk about uh, your piece, which I, there's a couple of things that have been unappreciated, uh, I, I think, um, about uh, what we're learning about Mark Meadows' book, which I have no intention of buying, but which we'll talk about nonetheless. Uh, the way in which he talks about Donald Trump getting the coronavirus, testing positive, and apparently, as you point out, trying to kill Joe Biden with it. What he also says about what happened and didn't happen at Lafayette Square, very interesting. But, you know, since this may be the last time you and I speak before Christmas, I have a Christmas present for you. Oh, Charlie, okay? that's so sweet. In case you have not been on social media over the last 24 hours, you may have missed this charming woman who showed up at her, I'm going to guess, a school board meeting. I cannot actually be bothered to figure out what state, what community whether it was a county meeting, city meeting, school board meeting, because it doesn't really matter. She shows up to testify about coronavirus mitigation efforts, and she's mm -hmm. wearing a Santa suit, and she puts on a Santa hat, and she has her mm -hmm. cell phone there where she's playing the music. She brings along her own background music. It's a little bit of performative karaoke, I don't know, resistance or whatever. And this is what happened. And I apologize in advance for people who may think, you know, where do I get that minute of my life back? But I felt I needed to share this with Tim Miller this morning. Mm. So this I'm is a, from I'm me. A, you've built a lot of anticipation. From, and I love from, presents. I love from, presents, from, by the way. From me to you. I don't want a lot for Christmas. A little pitchy. <laughs> Just body autonomy. I don't care about the variants because of natural immunity. <laughs> I just want my freedom now. The Constitution will show us how. Oh, make it stop. Make, make it my stop. dreams no. come no. true. No, no, no. no. And the state of emergency and acknowledge early treatment. It's hard to make those words rhyme. Two. Okay, here it goes. Come on. All right. Move it. I'm sorry, we, we just had to stop it there. I you have to give her credit to, for let's play it again. <laughs> no, Ivermectin. See, that's that's the thing. Um, it's not horse pace. That's that's gay cultural appropriation, by the way. The Mariah is ours. Mariah is ours, and I just you know that song is meant to be played in Mariah's dulcet tones at a homosexual bar between I December eighteenth and December twenty seventh. That's what it is. That's what that's what Mariah is, and that is. Boy, the straights ruin everything. That that is that's horrible. I do have to give credit. That is like I, 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 it's good, bad. 
No, it's bad, bad. Okay. It's, 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 it's all bad. And, 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 and speaking for the straights, um, we're, we're pretty pissed off about that as well. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to let you appropriate that from, from us, the appropriation. It I'm was sorry. just, it was, uh, so I have one question though, really quick on the substance. It was, I caught ivermectin is not horse paste, yeah, hydroxychloroquine, no. zinc. Well, there, but there was one in there. It was vitamin C, vitamin D C. and zinc. And then it was yeah. like, or something else in there. We yeah, might, I'm just we might I'm have to go back and listen to it again. I, I'm I'm afraid you're just going to have to you're just going to have to miss it. I have to admit that that was one of those moments where I'm watching that and going, could, could you explain to me again why small D democracy is a good idea? I mean, just really, I didn't mean it. Okay, don't drag me for it. Uh, although I am guessing that that I might get dragged for this. Can we talk about the the juicy Smollett case? Yeah, I want to I want to get to Jesse in a second. I just want one follow up question. When you first clicked on it, that video. Yeah. How how long did you stay? How many? How, did you make it to the end? Did you stay till the end? I'm sure I did not make it to the end. Oh, okay. Right. No, there's no way. There's 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 no way. There's there's a certain point when at 20 seconds you sort of feel your your brain cells. Okay. Okay. So I I do want to spend a little time talking about the juicy Smollett. and 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 before people start dragging me for this, this is of course if you have not seen it, the Dave Chappelle routine, which was brilliant. Very early on, he figured out that. Jesse Smollett's uh, story of being uh, accosted at 2 a.m. when it's 16 degrees um, in Chicago by two guys wearing MAGA hats who just happened to have bleach and a rope. And it, uh, it was it was one of those stories that just didn't pass the smell test from the beginning. But everybody jumped on it. You have the, the tweets from Joe Biden and you know, Kamala Harris and everybody. I mean, Cory Booker, um, everyone jumped into this because he was kind of. He was kind of the perfect intersectional victim incarnate. I mean, he had it all going there. I mean, it was racist. It was homophobic. It was political. You know, the guys were wearing Trump hats. They were racist. They were they were all, all of this. Of course, it turns out that it's complete bullshit. The story is completely made up. Um, it was exposed a long time ago. They had the trial in which he and his lawyers advanced these utterly ludicrous defenses. I mean, it was just laugh out loud funny. And didn't take the jury long to say, yeah, you just made this up. You actually wrote out a check to these guys. So, again, this is before people start dragging me on this one. Does the Dave Chappelle does the routine where he refers to him as the famous French actor, Juicy Smollett. <laughs> you might run into him on the streets of Paris when you go there for Christmas. Another just a bad week for the gays um, overall between that Mariah Carey, you know, just being ruined. And now Jesse, uh, he did admit during the trial that he had, it was unclear. I didn't watch the whole trial minute by minute, so it was mm. unclear what the context was in this. Maybe he just didn't want another charge of lying under oath, but he admitted to masturbating with his assailant. Uh, they had they did some light kind of marijuana and kissing and masturbating, apparently, before the the assault, which is, you know, not typically a situation when a MAGA person assaults you. I guess, you know, there could be a... You know, some some uh, some pent up closeted rage that that comes out uh, later, uh, but certainly doesn't seem likely. Um, I look, it, this it was obviously fake from the start, or it was uh, it was maybe not obviously fake. It was obviously quite suspect. Like the yeah. details, it just kind of smelled like. Do you remember the um, I do the, the woman who carved the be- the bee into her face? It wasn't oh, quite yeah. this bad, and uh, but she was using the mirror. So she carved the yeah. B backwards. backwards. <laughs> and so and it was like, well, why exactly would the would the Democratic uh Antifa person carve a backwards B in your face? But anyway, um it, it had it wasn't quite that obvious, but it had that scent immediately. And and I, I remember watching it and and, tr- and using Twitter restraint, which is, uh, Tim, you do not have to comment on every single thing that happens on Twitter. Like, we're not exactly sure. Like, this seems fishy, but let's just sit it out. And, like, that obviously proved to be the correct thing to do. It was j- the only, you got to give a shout out to my man, Mayor Pete, was the only Democratic candidate who did not tweet in Jesse's defense. So there was somebody over there in Pete World who demonstrated a little bit of critical thinking, critical distance. And, and here's the thing. Like it's a minor crime. It's a stupid thing. Like this is just some actor who wanted attention, uh, you know. And so I, I under, would understand a listener instinct to be like, "Who cares?" Right? Like this is some like B list actor. But but I, I, it was in a telling story in just how uniform the response was. 
and and like the rejection of pushback. Uh, you know, there was a clip going around yesterday of Elliot Page uh, his transition. I, I forget if it was before he transitioned or after. Um, I think it was before interviewing with Stephen Colbert, and Page is just you know going on and on about Jesse and how there's no debate about this and how there's people out there trying to debate it and it's intersectional and all this sort of stuff. And I, you know, it's just like that's not healthy. That and that's not, and, and it only exists within the, this sort of mindset. Only in, exists within a small bubble of super active and engaged Democratic and progressive partisans who you know just think everything that the other side does is is bad. Other side's given them a lot of good reason for that, by the way, and, and it blinds their critical thinking. And, and you know, and and I was just I was watching two videos yesterday on Twitter about this. That one versus. The NBA on TNT, Charles Barkley and and you know Shaq and those guys, they were talking about Jesse around the same time, and they were mocking him. So these are all Democrats. These are all Black Lives Matters guys. Chuck, Bar- Chuck Barkley and Ernie Johnson, none of them voted for for Donald Trump, but they're separate enough from this like brain wormed bubble that they can look at something and be like, "Eh, this 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 stinks." You know, this doesn't smell right. And 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 I think that there are some lessons that, that the Democrats could benefit from learning from, from this little saga about, you know, getting, getting a little bit of critical distance from, you know, everything, every time that somebody on their side says is right is right. And when race is involved, I think it gets particularly stark. So you're, you're talking about Paige's, you know, fiery YouTube condemnation. She was blaming, she, he was blaming Vice President Mike Pence saying he was responsible for this attack. And, and and early on, within like the first few days, got 18 million views. And, you know, Tim, I know that some people think we're spending too much time on this. Um, but but I, I do think that there's a couple of important points to be made. Um, and I, can I make a confession, first of all? Please. But I went back and I, I, I searched my Twitter feed and yours to see what we were saying at the time. Yep. And you were good. You really were um, restrained. But but what I noticed was early on, you got that usual pushback. And there is this school of thought out there, this residual school of thought that hoaxes like this aren't really that bad because they reveal a larger truth. Like, OK, <laughs> this didn't happen to him, but it happens all the time. We should be focusing on that, which is. I'm sorry, the exact wrong answer to all of this, because fake claims of victimization do not raise our consciousness, do not help us understand genuine incidents of racist or homophobic violence. So, you know, it's not this larger truth out there that somehow, you know, we we are now talking and thinking about. When someone lies like this, they make it harder for genuine victims to be believed. And this point... I'm, I have been writing about this, I think, for the last 30 years, that there is this, this sense out there that, that you know what, um, the narrative is what's most important. The larger truth is more important. So therefore, the fact that this itself is a lie is not that significant, and you shouldn't dwell on it. Well, I think we kind of see where that goes. I mean, this doesn't empower genuine victims. Basically, I'm sorry to, to date myself again, but the story of the boy who cried wolf is not a primer on how to raise awareness about the wolf threat. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's absolutely right. And I did. I did. The same thing happened to me on the you, Covington you, people, you were, by the you way. You were good. Yeah. And it was, and, it was, and you know, like, uh, you know, I've got uh, people are unfollowing you and stuff. And it's just like, everybody has to, has to take, a, take a deep breath on some of these situations. And there's plenty of horrible shit out there that is happening to focus on, right? right? I mean, it's not like there's a shortage of it. And and so anyway, I I think it's pretty, it's obviously clear at this point that Jesse was, was harming the cause of people that are actual victims, not helping. And and that's true of everyone that, and and by the way, he wasn't trying to help the broader cause of victims. He was trying to help his own empire, like contract dispute. That's what he was trying to do. Well, there's more damage here. And yesterday, and I want to make a point about this as well. So before the verdict comes down, after it was very clear what was going to happen, that this was complete BS, the organization, I want to stress that, the organization Black Lives Matter put out a statement in support of him and what they 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 put out this, in, in our commitment to abolition abolition of the police we can never believe police 
especially the Chicago Police Department, over Jesse Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. Our friend Bernie Belvedere tweeted that out and said, look, every single sentence in this cursed statement is dripping with mind-numbing <laughs> in, in, idiocy, just an utterly discrediting document. But but here's the other point, and I, and I know that you're going to understand what I'm getting at here. We've seen this happen before where you have a mass movement that is co-opted by an organization. And I think it's important to remind ourselves the organization may not represent the movement the organization Black Lives Matter may not actually represent or speak for the larger cause of Black Lives Matter, but of course, it's weaponized to discredit everything. And so the fact that there has been this organization calling Black Lives Matter has been a target-rich environment for people on the right and Fox News. And of course, they're going to continue to now use this support for Jussie Smollett to discredit everyone who's concerned now against about police violence against black men. I mean, I, and this no, is what's so mind blowing. Don't def- do not defend is what I want to say. Yeah, do not defend. It's uh, the old Hoffer quote, right? Every yeah. great cause begins as a movement and yep. eventually degenerates into a racket. Like, yep. Uh, you know, that's what is happening with the, with the it, again, not the cause of Black Lives Matter, but the the organization, this natural organization. It's a crazy thing. And it's also, it's it's like a logical person that has not been completely broken by our tribal wars, but if they were at, at Black Lives Matter or at a, one, or a criminal justice group or, you know, a social justice group, would be pissed at Jesse. Yes. Be pit- like, why the fuck are you putting me out? Why are you like hanging me out to dry like this? I always felt that way about the the Trump thing. As I was interviewing like Trump consultants, you know, I was like, why aren't you guys mad at him? Like, he is hanging you out to dry, making you defend shit that you know is indefensible, like making you look like an idiot, uh, undermining your cause. Like, why aren't you mad at him? You know, and 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 it's and it's the the fact that like people cannot get over their their grievance and their hatred of the of the enemies to to just give an itch and be like oh yeah my guy fucked up on this one right yeah. um and 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 that is that just you know uh, obviously not to compare this to like what trump but like but, but the concept of being uncritical and unwilling to be critical of your own side and coming and going to ludicrous lengths to defend them when they're obviously guilty um, you know, have, has consequences because there are people that believe that. Well, and it does have consequences. In my newsletter, I quoted from uh, is it Ree Texera, who's a, who's a liberal Democrat and Democratic um, strategist, who says, you know, one of the reasons why Democrats are doing so badly among Hispanics is Hispanics are not going along with some of this racialized rhetoric. And people ought to read this because it's a really it's a it's a shot across the bow that this is not playing that way. Okay, I just so want to throw one in yeah, this sure. and how it's related. It's you know I saw a quote yesterday and it was it said Biden, the Biden administration in every meeting about the infrastructure bill, the topic of equity is coming up, and I should, and again it's just an example of a well intentioned and a good concept and maiming it in a way that is politically harmful because of activists. It's like. I mean, I, I guess if you're expanding the the definition of equity now to include underserved, you know, rural communities, then okay, okay, then maybe it's okay to have equity in every meeting. But if you're really talking about race, I mean, some of the infrastructure bill is, you know, is about broadband going into coal country. It's it's like it's not helpful to have to racialize that conversation. Like you should be talking to working class white people whose votes you fucking need, by the way, about, about this thing that you're giving them, right? Like not everything has to be imbued with it. And, and, and it just shows like a, a corrupting of, of a, again, earnest and well-intentioned mindset. I'm sure in the old days, infrastructure, you know, obviously there are all the examples of redlining and all the ways you'll discriminate against. You don't, I'm not saying just go back to the bad old days of discriminating. I'm saying, let's not, make this the absolute top of mind element of every single issue that turns people off. Well, here's a periodic reminder of why you and I are having this conversation that, that if in fact the Biden administration and the Democrats fail, the consequences will not just be, they will lose an election. Um, we will have the return and the restoration of the deplorables and they're feeling it right now. 
Yeah. Uh, if, if, if the Biden administration, and the Democrats do not get this right, if they do blow this, then Donald Trump is going to become the president of the United States again. I'm, and I'm sorry to put it that you know bluntly, but that is what's going to happen. And that's why is it is at stake and why guys like you and I are sitting here going, guys, please do not screw this up. Do not be stupid. You know, don't go there. Don't, you know, don't go into the basement to look for the cat because there might be a monster down there. So I have a little bit of a soundbite. Uh, okay. Here is, uh, speaking of deplorable on deplorable, uh, Matt Gates goes on Steve Bannon's podcast, and they are already talking about the restoration and how they're putting together an army of complete MAGA heads who would be the the shock troops. Because I think their insight is, and they're not necessarily wrong, if Trump comes back into power, um, he's not going to be able to rely on the same kinds of people that he had in the first term. He's going to have to have absolute, you know, mouth-breathing, true believers, and they're and they're preparing for it. Let me let me play this soundbite for you if you haven't heard it. This is a theory of governing, right? And it, it's fresh and it's new. This is Trumpism in power. That's why we went to the to the to the to the the four thousand uh, uh, shock troops we have to have that's going to man the government and get them ready now, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to hit the beach. You know, you have the landing teams and the beachhead teams, all that Jesus. nomenclature they use when 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 President Trump uh, wins again in twenty twenty four or before, right? Um, or before you're going to have those as the four thousand political appointees on Capitol Hill. You're going to have Gates and others. And no more trade gaddies, no more, no more uh, powder puff derby. This is going to be <laughs> hardcore accountability at every committee. Yes, and we are going to go after this administrative state, and we're going to start at the Department of Justice and the FBI. That's the job I want. You know, send send me over to the Judiciary Committee, and their sphincters will tighten because they've been doing a lot of corrupt things over there. He's such a bitch. Okay, I do not think Matt Gates should be talking about sphincters. He just should not be doing it. He's under investigation, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he's a public official talking, going after the people who are investigating him. He's under investigation for having sex with underage girls and trafficking with him. But the thing about it is, you know, we've used the term post shame. We're like post post shame, whatever, because here he is. He's under investigation and he is, you know, in public, making no secret of it. I, I, I want that job. I, I want to go after the FBI. I want to go after the Department of Justice. So it's not like they are not telling us who they are and what they absolutely intend to do. So every discussion we have, I think, needs to be seen in the context. That's who's waiting outside the door. That's what their intentions are. Yeah, and and they they also told you, and I know we'll get to Meadows later, but I, this is I have to tie it into you know some of the documents that let's Meadows sent. Yeah, let's, sent go, to let's go there. 6. So this is not just the book. Um, right. I want to talk about the book too, but like here is account the balance top level plan. This is a PowerPoint that the chief of staff to the White House sent to that sent to allies on the Hill um, before the before January sixth. A trusted lead counter will be appointed with authority from POTUS to direct the actions of federalized National Guard units. U.S. Marshals will immediately secure all ballots and provide a protective perimeter around the locations. DHS will use their emergency response logistic capabilities to support the effort. The federalized National Guard in each state will be supplied deep... you know, so so this isn't. I mean, Bannon's full of shit, obviously, but this isn't just you know uh, like one guy you know broadcasting you know, from his basement to the like twelve. Q- this isn't the JFK Jr. crowd, yeah. the sixty people in you know Dallas, Texas, who are who are Looney Tunes. Bannon is one of the most listened to podcasts in America. The supposedly normal candidates are still. Um, you know, trying to curry his favor. Uh, you saw that in Ohio. All those candidates are going on his podcast, except for the one guy who has no chance to win, Dolan. Um, he he is echoing exactly the language that the chief of staff to Donald Trump was putting in emails to the Hill about hey, what, about what was needed. This is in this is madness. Yeah. Do we know who actually wrote that PowerPoint? It wasn't Meadows himself. He was passing it all on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. It yeah. was not Meadows himself. Okay, so here's the thing, though, um, what we learned yesterday, and I I do not want everybody to get all jiggy about this or engage in irrational exuberance, but Liz Cheney had this amazing tweet thread yesterday. You know, she said, the committee has already met with nearly 300 witnesses. We hear from four more key figures in the investigation today, including Ali Alexander. We are conducting multiple depositions and interviews every week. And then she said, 
we have received exceptionally interesting and important documents from a number of witnesses, including Mark Meadows. He turned over many texts from his private cell phone from January 6th. Now, this is interesting, right? Because he's refusing to testify and he's trying to get back into Trump's favor, but he's already turned over thousands of pages of documents, including these text messages and emails that show that he was exchanging while the attack was underway. And so they're going to provide quite an insight into what Donald Trump was doing and not doing during that that writing. And CNN has some sources say that, that this stuff offers a window into what people were texting to Meadows on January 6th, what he was telling them about Trump in real time, what the former president was doing for those hours while the Capitol was under attack and the rioters were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Um, committee insiders saying lots of people are coming in to testify, producing documents. Uh, but those those metal texts may turn out to be the mother load. And the source familiar with the communication told CNN the texts may not reflect well on the former president. Who do, do tell, really? Really? It's, the truth is, these are not very bright guys, and things got out of hand, Charlie. Um, I mean, I, like Meadows is an idiot. Like, I just, I can't get over this. I, what is? I, 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 I was, I've been so consumed by what is happening in the brain of Mark Meadows over the past week. I've been texting my friends and who cover him for mainstream outlets and who know him. Uh, from past lives, and I'm like, what is happening? So and tell I, me, what do you think? Yeah, the, the, what is? the picture yeah. is that he's an idiot. He's a moron. <laughs> I don't like. He is. He's in tough financial straits. I think he is. You know, and I think this is is clouding his brain. Also, you know, he has is not getting the resources that Trump is getting from the RNC to cover his legal bills. He is not like every other White House chief of staff in history since he was the you know first pro insurrection White House chief of staff um, to. Uh, go to like go to a corporate, you know, in modern times to go to corporate America and and get a big payout. So he doesn't have a lot of options there. And, he wrote and he's a book, not make, and he's not going to make a lot of money on this book. He's not going to make a lot of money on this book. <laughs> I mean, the, the, like honestly, this the, if he had called me, you know, I would never have advised him this. But if you know, he'd called a friend who is not an idiot who could have advised him. They would have said, Mark, the best thing you could do to make money is to write a book that's like Donald Trump is the most perfect man in history, and I just want to lick his nipples, right? Like that yeah. would have uh-huh. that would have sold. Um, this would not, this book is not going to sell. So I I think he's trying to balance all this where he's like, I, I have to cooperate with the committee because I'm paying my own legal bills. And if I don't, it's going to be expensive. So I start to cooperate and then, you know, and then I need to pay for my legal bills. So I'm selling this book and then excerpts of the book leak. And now, you know, my patron is, is pissed at me because I told everybody that he almost killed Chris Christie and tried to kill Joe Biden and (laughs) tried to kill a bunch of gold star families. And that, you know, he also intentionally attacked like the nun who was protesting outside the white house. And, you know, these are not nice things. And and so now I've got a backtrack. And he's, I, I think that's just like the, the main takeaway from all of it is like he's in way over his head and, and he made a lot of dumb choices. And, you know, he's wildly vacillating to try to navigate his way out of it. And he's just keeps digging the bigger hole. Well, anyone who wants to get a really good picture of who Mark Meadows is and, and, and what an idiot he is but also what a disingenuous idiot he is. I ought to read uh, Tim Alberta's book, American Carnage, because he's he's a major character in that book. So let's break this down. You had a, a great piece in The Bulwark uh, saying that uh, now we find out from Mark Meadows that uh, that Trump tried to kill Biden with COVID-19. Yeah, this has been really validating for me because yeah. uh, like the, uh, the inverse of the Jesse situation, my... Uh, you know, my black helicopter view like that I was obsessed with at the end of the campaign, it was this. I was like, Trump had the virus. He knew he had it. And he went to that debate inside maskless with somebody who with because of his age is in a high risk category uh, on purpose. Um, not maybe not on purpose. Like I want to kill Joe Biden, but on purpose in the way of I'm happy to risk killing Joe Biden you know, rather than admit to people that, you know, I'm a person with, with, uh, that's body is failing and I'm, you know, not the Uber, Uber mensch that you think I am. And so it, it just, if you remember, I, we wrote in the bulwark, I, I, I put, wrote a big, you know, kind of like the crazy guy on the wall with the strings and the pins. I was like, this, this man had the virus, you know, because if you took what you knew about when he was tested, when he was supposed to be tested and then when he got it, I, it all signs pointed to this. And I, I called all of my White House reporter friends and like 
and lambasted them about not getting to the bottom of this. And so then then Mark Meadows just wrote it out in his book, uh, which was <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, it's not just Biden. I, I, I zeroed in on that because I think it's particularly relevant. But but we saw the Chris Christie thing. He was in his debate prep. And he's now saying he he told Margaret Hoover that he's absolutely convinced that, that uh, Donald Trump gave him coronavirus. Almost killed him, too. Almost killed him. He's in the ICU. And yet he won't rule out Trump 2024. That's insight into these guys' souls. Uh, the Gold Star families came and met at the White House after he tested positive. Um, I, yeah, all of his staff. I, 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 we, we covered this in, a, in a Not My Party at the end of the campaign in 2020 about how there were you know, people with very severe illnesses that are career staff, you know, uh, you know, you think about your staff, you're like, I don't feel bad for Hope Hicks or whatever. And that's fine. You don't have have sympathy for Hope Hicks, but what about the secret service guys? You know, what about the, you know, people that check in guests at the front door? Uh, Somebody that had that job got very, very ill with coronavirus. Possibly Trump was the patient zero there. So, so we knew that. And then my other, this was not a black helicopter theory. I, I knew that I was correct about this, but the other thing that, that, you know, the MAGAs kept trying to argue was that at the Lafayette Square incident was a coincidence and that, you know, the National Guard am, or, the, or the Park am, Service am, had already I'm decided. Really in this. Yeah. yeah, they had yeah. already decided. And even the IG came out and defended this view because I guess in the most technical sense, the Park Service had decided that morning that they wanted to like create more of a buffer around the White House or clear that area a little bit. And so... You know, the White House used this for cover in order to claim that, no, Donald Trump didn't order the tear gas and the rubber bullet grenades you know, against the peaceful protesters standing outside the White House so that he could have his photo op in front of St. John's Church where he you know, holds the Bible upside down like it's a dirty diaper. And, uh, and actually, this was already going to happen. And because they were going to clear it out, he decided to walk through. Like that was their spin. But that never made sense. It it, it just it it was never logical, like this notion that there would be a violent crackdown outside the White House, and then eight minutes later the president would walk through, and it was just a big quinky dink, you know, that he chose that that he chose that time. It was clear that they were told they had to use excessive force and excessive, you know, go to excessive lengths to clear out Lafayette Park before, you know, because the president was walking through. I that's just obvious. And Mark Meadows, once again, admits that that was what happened uh, in this book, Uh, uh, undermining all of the Federalists and Molly Hemingway and Fox and I, Britt Hume and uh, all these guys efforts to to argue that it was just just one big coincidence. No, and I and I and I think that that's again the the revisionist history, although Mark Meadows puts it in the context of saying that he was never prouder that he was never prouder to serve the president than when he did the controversial Bible photo op in Lafayette Square. That that was that was the peak moment for him that's to do that. Sick. that well, it's that's sick. I, I mean, I thought for me it was always, uh, and I, maybe not everybody had this emotional reaction to, that I did, but for me it was the it was the low point of all the horribleness of the Trump stuff. Oh, I remember. Uh, that, just yeah. like the image, you know, is, is this is these are peaceful protesters outside the White House calling for action to defend the unjust killing of black men in this country, black men and women, um, at the hands of police. I mean, this, this was a, this was not what was happening in Kenosha. Um, this was, you know, the heart of the American experiment that for people to just, just be able to stand outside the white house and, and say their piece and fight for justice and argue for justice. And, and they sent a bunch of jackbooted thugs through there so that, so that the president could have a photo op. And this was, this was tin pot dictator stuff. And it goes against the heart of the American experiment and what, what America is about, what our founding was about. And, and, and I, I don't know, I just, I've, I felt like it was once again, a sign that all of the stuff that we thought, you know, that everybody was standing cheering next to us when, you know, George H.W. Bush and <laughs> we're talking about our founding principles and the importance of all this, uh, that they didn't actually care. They just wanted, they just wanted well, a tough guy who'd beat up the hippies. Well, and, and, and this is kind of the end of his presidency. And, and let's face it, there are millions of people that really like this. Like when, when they hear that Trump ordered his staff to bust some heads and make some arrests to clear out these protesters surrounding the White House. They're going to go, yeah, you know, it's about time. Let's let's do this. Um, so, you know, Mark Meadows, when he says, you know, this was one of the great moments. I mean, he he liked the fact that the president is talking about busting heads. He likes the fact that 
that, you know, he orders law enforcement to violently clear protests. Let's be honest about this. I, I heard you know, on the live stream last night, uh, you and Mona Charon were talking about this and, and, and Mona was pointing out, you know, I think that there's, there are some people that believe that, you know, as this, these investigations unfold, that, that we will find out so many horrible things about uh, Donald Trump's behavior that, that there will be, you know, large numbers of his supporters who will go, oh my God, that's just terrible. We can't, you know, th this is our breaking point. And I thought she made the valid point. No, I think by now we ought to realize that that a lot of these, that millions of, of MAGA world folks uh, like Trump, not in spite of this stuff, the, not in spite of the cruelty, the brutality, the lies, but in part because of it. It's 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 not it's not the glitch. It is the feature, and they and they they like that kind of you know white man on the white horse macho authoritarianism. And that incident at Lafayette Square is for them, I mean, you and I look at this as kind of the low point, but they look at that as, this is exactly what we want. We want this. Yeah. And also the revenge. There's a revenge element of it. You know, because they feel like that, you know, the looters or whatever, and the other, in the city, in other cities, what was going on in CHOP, um, you know, they wanted revenge for their tribe against those looters. And, and they still uh, do. Yeah. And so that is appropriate response you know never never the mind that you know these actual were just individual humans who are exercising their free assembly and free speech and that it wasn't it's not people with biden you know it wasn't people with biden t-shirts on who were uh, uh running chop and Chaz in seattle but but that didn't matter because that because again the way they see it it's it's part of this kind of imaginary civil war you know where uh, their side needed to throw a punch back at the other side so this sounds like kind of an old story into a certain way, but I, but I feel we have to at least acknowledge something that's going on um, in the in the right wing fever swamps, including people like Tucker Carlson. This new unabashed love and admiration for Vladimir Putin is really extraordinary. The way in which many of these folks now are siding with Putin against Ukraine. I mean, Peter Navarro was on one of the shows saying, "Well, you know, Ukraine's not really a real country." But seeing folks on Fox, in effect, parroting. Russian propaganda. Now, I, I say it's, it, it feels old because, you know, we lived through the whole bromance between Donald Trump and Putin, but, but clearly that's extending. And for those of us who are old enough to remember the Cold War, to watch conservative Republicans siding with Russia against NATO is really amazing. I mean, they sound like the old 80s commies sometimes when they're talking about this stuff, you know, doing revisionist history about the great about everything that you know, all of the great cultural advancements that are happening in uh, in Russia. Uh, yeah, look, I think that we're a little bit on an island on this one, and I'm interested. You know, we have these coming threats of Ukraine and Taiwan, and the you know our rival powers, you know, potentially trying to annex them. And I, I really do feel feel as if who who are going to be who are the defenders of the of these efforts? And I, I was encouraged. I listened to your podcast with Ben Wittes, which was really yeah. great this yeah. week. And and you know Ben offered some some tangible, concrete items that the Biden administration could do to you know, defend and protect Ukraine without actually sending mm -hmm. troops in. Uh, it was pretty pretty compelling case you made. So I I, I hope that is the case. But uh, you know I'm just. It is it is deeply concerning the, the type of rhetoric that you're hearing um, from right. from the right that obviously overlaps with kind of the Glenn, Glenn Greenwald side of the left that is that basically is just like yeah whatever. So Gary Kasparov, who is the Russian dissident, yeah. former world chess champion, has a great piece over at the Dispatch where he talks about these love letters from people like Tucker Carlson. This is what he writes. He says, the best thing that could be said about Tucker Carlson's love letter to Vladimir Putin on his show Tuesday is that it didn't sound any better in the original Russian. It sounded much more like a work of translation than anything original because we've been hearing it all from Russian state TV for years. <laughs> So this is where we're at. I mean, we've gone this this weird, this this weird, you know, fancy pretzeling where you know Fox News is now doing rah rah for Vladimir Putin. Okay, so talk to me about Doctor Oz. You had you had a piece about Doctor Oz yesterday. Yeah, um, this fundraiser caught my eye. Yeah, I had a friend who said I, uh, one of my first job, well, my second job in politics was as the driver for a guy who was running for governor of uh, Delaware. 
And I was an intern at the RGA, a Republican Governor's Association, and all of a sudden this race in Delaware gets close, but it was a bunch of local yokels that were running it, and so they wanted to send some people down to you know get a sense for whether this was winnable. So I made so I made a bunch of friends in Delaware. I loved my time in Delaware. It's a it's, it's a charming little state, you know. Wilmington's a cute little city. You got your beach towns, Rehoboth. It's great. So anyway, I made some friends. They they text me this fundraiser. The Dr. Oz, who lives in New Jersey, but is running in Pennsylvania, but is holding the fundraiser in Delaware. Uh, if you can follow that little yeah. tri-state, tri-state they're all, they're all action. Um, and he uh, and, and there's a co-host list on it of people who are, who are participating in a fundraiser for Dr. Oz. On the list is the former governor of Delaware, Mike Castle, who you might remember from losing to crazy I'm not a witch, yeah. Christine O'Donnell in the primary. Mike right. Castle was a Tim Miller approved, you know, pro this is pre-gay marriage, pro-civil union, pro-climate change action Republican. Squish um, right now. Yes, total squish rhino. He's on the list. You know, Louis Free, who uh, I guess has gotten crazy, but uh, worked for the Clinton administration, right? And it was not FBI ex- director. Yeah, <laughs> FBI director, Clinton administration. Frank Ursa Marso, who's a classic establishment, you know, comms guy. Tim Miller, but thirty years earlier. Uh, and the Dupont family. Everyone remembers, you know, uh, Nebish Pete Dupont from the presidential debates. All the Duponts are on here. Bank executives. They're hosting this fundraiser for Doctor Oz. And it's, it's just like this Trump is the establishment any, of this is the it, establishment of the establishment. It's the I've whippiest right. of the establishment. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not even the Glenn Youngkin type of the establishment. It's even wimpy. You know, it's even squishier than that. And 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 they're they've come to terms with the quack doctor, the anti vaxxer the you know going along with all of the MAGA nonsense. Um, a candidate for the Senate in Pennsylvania. And I just, I, this is, I, I, we shouldn't be surprised. You should never be surprised. We've all seen all this coming. You know, we've done the invasion of the body snatchers. The bodies have yeah. been snatched. These are their new bodies now, right? But um, but still, every once in a while, I see something that just makes me stop and, 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 and say, and just, you know, really recognize how far gone the party is. And there's a secondary, you know, response I have to this is, is there anything the Democrats can do? Like, what can Connor Lamb, who's a totally reasonable center-left Marine Democrat, do to get somebody like Mike? Shouldn't Mike Castle be supporting him? Right, right. Like, why? Actually, that is concerning. I think for Democrats, right. it it is okay. So let me offer a possible counterpoint here: that they just want to take a picture with him in his tight well, skin. Oh uh, well, possible. Okay, so so if let's assume they they know, which I don't think is probably the case, they, they know what a complete fraudster and um, you know whack job Dr. Oz is. You know, people who are not paying attention to this might not be aware of of, of how bizarre Dr. Oz is, how how thoroughly discredited he's been. So they may not know that. Okay, that's number one. Number two, and I know you know how this works. This is hosted by Laura and Ben Dupont. These are the scions of the Dupont family. Immensely respected, immensely wealthy, immensely well connected, right? All of those things. And 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 is this a case where basically rich people calling up other rich people and saying, "Laura Dupont would is having a party for Doctor Would Would you like to come?" And well, of course, if the Duponts are doing this, and who else is coming? Well, Governor Castle is coming. You know, I mean, at some point. You know, yes, it, you're right. It looks it looks like the establishment of the establishment has embraced the crazy, but maybe they've just embraced one another. You know what I'm saying? That that sometimes, you know, the, these crazy ideas. Okay, let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Um, the whole Theranos story. All the people who signed on to the board of directors of Theranos, the you know the blood scan company, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that. You know, they did it because some other famous person vouched for it, right? So Henry Kissinger vouches to George Schultz. To George Schultz, right? You know, and so and it's sort of that that thing where did they independently come to think, yes, we think this woman is the future, but there's a group think among the rich, the beautiful, the powerful. Is, is it possibly? I'm, 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 I'm. No, this I'm, is this is certainly I'm, possible. I'm reaching and here. I'm. I did know. no, you're not. I because I just finished watching Dope Sick, which yeah. is uh, just arresting and yeah. phenomenally done, uh, which is about the Sackler mm. family mm. and how they did this, right? You know, they the Sackler family, you know, throws money at everybody, and Rudy Giuliani, who's complicit, that should have been an early sign, but you know, they're also throwing money at all these arts foundations and education for kids, and everybody wants to come to their house for the big parties. And and part of the reason that they co-opted people, so I, I do think that's part of it. Um, and, and to, I very much re- recommend Dope Sick, by the way. But um, counter counterpoint 
This is Dr. Oz. I know. I, I mean, know, he's I preposterous. Know. He's a preposterous figure. I mean, on its face, like, wh- how, what is the first step of this? Uh, the Claire, du- like Claire Dupont. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Is there? Is this like an English royalty thing where there's, you know, a little bit of know. intermingling, and you know, we've got some. Uh, the gene pool starts to disintegrate over time. Is, are we or in one of these Laura, situations? Or Laura and Ben Dupont really don't do Twitter, Mister Miller. They really have not been following this. I mean, so they just, they, they knew him from Oprah, I guess. They yeah, remember him from yeah. Oprah in the 90s, and they're like, I loved him on Oprah. I don't I, I don't know. I think I mean, Oprah's all wonderful. Is- and, and if Oprah, if, if he's a friend of Oprah's, well, then of course we'll open our home to him. Then would oh you like, would, God, would you like to come? Okay, you know, this is. I, and again, I keep coming back It'll to the Elizabeth three-piece band there and some chi- fine china, and you can do well, some we, networking. I mean, this is how the grift works, right? That you get somebody who then vouches for somebody, and at a certain point, people are going, all right, I, I'm in this because George Schultz is in this. I don't even know who Elizabeth Holmes is, but now I'm in. You know, I said, okay. All right. I, I'm not trying to know it is true. And it's especially true in, in Delaware, by the way, for my time there. I mean, there's like a Greenville, like Wilmington, there's like a mafia in Delaware that is, you know, it's, it's incestuous, not in the way that I yeah. meant earlier, but like just in the sense of, right. A old, you know, old money. Right. And Delaware. very small. I mean, they all yeah, live small. within a hundred yards of each other. Yeah, right? right. I mean, it's yeah. so tiny. If you're in Delaware, you're just like, you, you go to the same shop go. Well, not if right. you're a DuPont, not if you're a DuPont. And, uh, and by the way, I actually was a big fan of Pete DuPont. And when he passed away, my wife actually wrote a, an appreciation for the bulwark of Pete DuPont. So I haven't had a chance to talk to her about what's going on with the DuPont family. Oh, I'll have to go back okay. and read that. Uh, the, I did just watch, I'm sorry, really quick on Pete DuPont. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, you know, in honor of Bob Dole, who died this week, I rewatched the, I guess it would have been the 88 presidential debates SNL skit where Aykroyd is, is uh, Bob Dole. And Dana Carvey is HW, and, uh, and Phil Hartman, I think, is Pete Dupont, and it is hilarious. And I would highly recommend everyone oh. YouTube it afterwards. Uh, Ackroyd plays Bob Dole, just making fun of HW and Pete Dupont for how rich they are. So in Russell, Kansas, you know, I I didn't grow up with one of those dishwashers that works automatically and with the with the crystal glasses, and it's 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 a good it's a good shtick. Okay, so I probably should end this right now. And I'm probably going to regret not, but I didn't. You noticed that I was being ratioed on social media yesterday because I made the point that it was perhaps not politically prudent for uh, the Democrats in New York City to uh, suddenly say, hey, we're going to extend voting rights to non citizens, that non citizens will now be allowed to vote in local elections in New York City. And of course, what I get back is, well, yeah, you should shut the fuck up, first of all, about this, Charlie, but, but this is the right thing to do. And absolutely, we have a million people here who are not citizens. We should, you know, let them let let them vote. And this is one of those where, OK, so Democrats have a messaging problem. People think they might be out of touch, that they are not credible on issues like the border, uh, citizenship, uh, you know, a variety of things. And New York City is basically doing one of these, hey, hold my beer. Uh, so in the last month, we're going to remove a statue of Thomas Jefferson uh, from City Hall, and we are going to do something that sounds like it ca- came from one of those old tweets from Donald Trump. Democrats want non-citizens to vote, and they're saying, yeah, absolutely. Yes, we, um, we are going to do that. So I was amazed and impressed by um, this amazing website, Twitter, how many progressives and Democrats think that this is a, hey, a winning issue. Let's extend the vote to non-citizens, and I'm like, "Fuck us all." Well, keep keep getting ratioed, Charlie, because uh, one of these days I'm going to pass you on Twitter followers, and uh, so the more of these ratio tweets you send, the better it is for me. Um, I would say not, this: not today, Mister. Uh, <laughs> I, I would. I, I would say this. There was a Vox. I think it was Vox article yesterday, um, and it was a it was a very progressive writer who was expressing frustration that that on voting issues. Democrats are going the same way that they are on climate, where, you know, they say that it's an existential threat, but they, they don't actually do the things that are necessary to protect it. And um, I read that and I was like, you know, here is a thing uh, we always get kind of uh, not always, but but we get there's a sense sometimes with the never Trumpers and us being new to the coalition that, you know, it's like, oh, you're trying to drag us to the middle. You're trying to drag us to the squishy center. And, you know, we appreciate your vote, but we don't want you to do that. But this is an issue, democracy, where 
I think in a lot of ways, it's actually us, the expats, you know, the immigrants to the Democratic cause who are more aggressive and maybe hope pushing the party to act, act with more urgency. And, and that maybe we're in league with the more progressive side of the party in some, in some of these things. That, that it's like you guys have to understand the threat here and act. And so I, I say that as a lead up because it's like if the Democrats come out of 2020 and the thing that they learn from it is that um, we are going to uh, completely give up on uh, on gerrymandering, which it seems like they've done, and they're going to give away 10 to 15 seats, according to Dave Wasserman, by yeah. unilateral disarmament on, on gerrymandering. Uh, we are going to make ourselves wildly less popular by letting non-citizens vote, something that you know has like an 8% approval rating and that plays into all of the conspiracy theories that power the anti-democratic right, you know, who say that it's you know dead people and illegal and Hugo Chavez or whatever who vote. Uh, and then we're not going to show urgency in the Hill to, to secure things through the Electoral Count Act and other, uh, other changes of this nature. I, that's a really bad combination of moves. And, and, and hopefully, you know, w- we can be a useful part of this coalition in, in saying, like, wake up, wake up. And, and if, there, if you're going to make voting changes, uh, you know, let's make voting changes that address the, the very real threat to our democracy that's coming down the pike and not make changes that um, are, are going to, you know, ac- actually further inflame, you know, the arguments of the other side that's trying to undermine our democracy. So there's my rant on this. I agree with you. I would not well, approach you. And, and, and there are many other rants, including the fact that, of course, this actually gets the Democrats no real advantage in New York City but is going to be a talking point everywhere else, including every swing state. And what's interesting is, you know, the people who will argue, well, Charlie, this is a good idea because we can't have taxation without representation. If, you know, the nearly 1 million, um, you know, legal immigrants who live in New York City should be able to vote if, if they pay taxes, which, of course, is indistinguishable from an argument that would say, well, then why not have them vote in state elections and in federal elections? And at that point, then we're in the position of, you know, the right wing saying, and these Democrats are going to have non-citizens flood the voting rolls. And of course, you and I have been saying, no, that's not true. And the Democrats are like, no, hold my beer. That's exactly what we wanted. Oh, come on, people. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, 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 part of me is very exhausted by this. I don't know about you. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So maybe you need to pass me on Twitter because I can just pass the baton. As you pass me, I'll just say, okay, I, I'm done here, Tim. You take it. You go. I just, I just looked. <laughs> you got a lot of followers, man. I got a long way to go. I thought I thought I was closing on yet, but no, I'm not. It's distressing. Yeah, but most of them hate me, so anyway. Hey, Tim, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Charlie, uh, oh, shoot. I was going to do Merry Christmas in French, but I lost it. Oh, well. Enjoy. In, in, enjoy. I should know how to say it myself, but uh, well, maybe by next week, by the time I get on that Air France plane, if I've, if I've passed all the tests, if I've had all of the documents, if I've figured out you know, all of the bad things that can't happen with the French bureaucracy, because what could go wrong, maybe then I'll pull out the phrase book and joy learn how to you. do it. I think it's joyeux. Isn't it joyeux anniversary? Isn't that happy birthday? Well, joyeux. Yeah, all right. However I pronounce it, my wife, who speaks fluid French, would come downstairs and she would then correct my pronunciation <laughs> because her pronunciation would be perfect and no matter how much i practiced <laughs> i'd get it wrong so i'm just gonna leave it at that enjoy you know in, in in enjoy and thank you all for listening to today's bulwark podcast i'm charlie sykes i will be back on monday and we'll do this all over again